0: His kindness is overwhelming and he doesn't care at all what your position is in this world at all.
1: Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today are your friends and mine, Karen. Good
2: morning,
1: and Amy
2: good morning
1: and Tracy good morning morning everybody so for all of you in podcast land you probably hopefully won't notice much of a difference but for us we've taken a little two week hiatus as we've got through the Christmas and New Year's holidays since they fell on our regular recording days so we're uh we're jumping forward in time with you here and uh, in the meantime uh, some of us have had some adventures and some of us have had some struggles and uh um it's been a it's been an interesting couple of weeks for us while we've uh well i don't know i guess you could say we rested a bit but at the same time um there' oh, the well <laughs> i hadn't noticed that part of them they're supposed to be joyful new year's <laughs> new year's eve so, OK, New Year's Eve, I was really feeling my age because I'm sitting there in my couch, desperately trying to keep my eyes open, watching the Dick Clark's rockin' New Year's Eve thing on whatever channel that's on. And I'm, I'm sitting there for a while I'm watching for about 20, 30 minutes, and all of a sudden I go, I have no idea who any of these people are. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Ryan Seacrest, him I recognize, but look at him, he's looking old. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so that was sort of an interesting experience for me going I don't know who this performer is I don't know who who's this host I don't know who any of these people are when did the world start leaving me behind like this <laughs>
2: it was when you started not caring
1: maybe so definitely because because it was towards the end when they started bringing on guys like um oh who did they have on they had on um Duran Duran
2: oh heaven. and
1: They're yeah still alive? yeah and actually didn't sound too bad and um oh, new one edition of the bo- they had was it new edition yeah they had uh-huh. new edition um <laughs> one of the other boy bands i can't remember it wasn't in sync it wasn't the back Boys. oh to no kidding no kidding yeah. those guys were yeah. yeah they're up there trying to dance and you're like oh guys um you're gonna yeah. hurt a hip
2: gonna hurt something
1: so yeah that was that was pretty interesting until they finally brought on some people that i recognized and i was like oh hey they're they're catering to us old folks now thank you because we're going into the new year too (laughs) that
2: sounds that sounds stressful
1: (laughs) that was funny
2: (laughs) well when i was a little kid i always thought that surely I mean, and this is sci-fi, right? This is my sci-fi reading at work. But I always thought that surely by the year 2000, cars would fly. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, by the time it hit 1999, I was aware that this wasn't going to happen. But I determined in my little soul that every year from the year 2000 on, every New Year's, I would check to see if my car flies. (laughs) And I'm 23 years into this process now. And my stupid car is still on the ground.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it is it funny how many this year. Yeah, it's funny how many movies and stuff put put the 2000s, the early 2000s, way into the distant future, and now here we are going. Oh, yeah.
2: The Jetsons didn't the Jetsons take place in 2023?
1: No, but I think last year I saw something that said it was the year that George Jetson would have had to have been born in order. Oh, there for, we go yeah so Ah. yeah (laughs) so we are in the future friends
0: there's actually a lot of discussion about why cars are not flying yet because it's like we had massive innovation and then innovation has been stifled and people are trying to figure out okay what is stifling innovation so profoundly
2: that's a different
3: podcast
1: okay that's funny (laughs) because
3: we had our youngest and we were like um He's like, well, we need to watch some Christmas shows because he likes to do that like at the very beginning of December. We'll watch like one every day, you know, um, in the evening or something. And so just I just randomly threw out there, let's watch the Flintstones Christmas.
0: <laughs>
3: and he looked at me and he goes, wait a minute. He goes, Christmas in prehistoric times? He goes, wouldn't that be before Jesus? I'm like, you know what? That's probably the first time I ever really thought about that. It's been decades since I thought about that.
0: Go Kendall. And then it
3: was like, I was like, well, then, well, then how did the Jetsons and the Flintstones have a Christmas special when they meet each other? I was like, yeah, it was, we were really reaching for uh, Christmas shows. But yeah, Flintstones and the Jetsons. It's funny that you mentioned that.
1: Yeah, there's fan theories about that that says that the Flintstones actually happens after the Jetsons after a post-apocalyptic event. (laughs) (laughs)
2: you out of everyone i know you would know that weird thing right there
1: (laughs) or or the other theory is that the jetsons are living like up above the earth because you know all their buildings float and stuff and that the flintstones are down on the ground in the squalor lord have mercy (laughs) okay oh my gosh we are so far off the rails today (laughs) <laughs> but you started talking cartoons now I'm in <laughs> <laughs> all right well maybe next week we'll let Amy tell us a little bit about her adventure uh over the over the holidays because we're we're uh, we're running on our time here but um uh, we are <laughs> we are here to talk about the Bible and so let's uh, let's get into that. We're going to be talking today about uh, the the last part of Oh John chapter three, and we're going to talk about John chapter four today. But our review, of course, being we are now in the life of Jesus, and we recently we've seen things like Jesus turning water into wine. We saw a whole uh, uh, event of Jesus uh, having to confront or be confronted by uh, Satan out in the wilderness, and and be tempted and get through that. Uh, We saw Jesus. meet a man, Nicodemus, where, where he, where he gave us probably the most famous ever Bible quote of John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. See how easily that rolls off my tongue because we all know it so very, very well. And so we've seen things happen.
2: In Florida, um, in the wine in the wine, so there are a few chains of grocery stores that have liquor stores built into them, like they don't have to be separate. So for whatever reason, you can license differently or whatever it is. So I was down there visiting family and it was in the wine section of a grocery store, just kind of passing through, getting to whatever else. And here was a sign that said, water bottles next to a wine rack of wine bottles. And somebody had handwritten a piece of paper and taped it on there that said Jesus was here.
1: Oh, no. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Even my atheist That's sister awesome. thought that was hilarious. <laughs>
1: That is a little. That is a little funny, sort of. Sort <laughs> of. So, it's, it's like one of those things. You're like, it's like, okay, am I, am I allowed to laugh at that?
2: Wait, yeah. Do I go to hell <laughs> if I laugh at this?
1: <laughs> <Sure>. <clears throat> <clears throat> oh well. In in a lot of our reading, we've also talked about John the Baptist, who, of course, um, we know he preceded Jesus. He was like Jesus's literal. Cousin, well, you know, in there, in there somewhere, because because their mothers were cousins. I don't remember. I don't know exactly how that all works out, but definitely related. And John the Baptist had been preparing the way for Jesus's ministry by preaching to repent, to uh, you know, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This sort of thing. He literally baptized Jesus, and so where we pick up today is with. We find that Jesus and his disciples, the way John writes it, he says, uh, this would be the Apostle John, not John the Baptist. Let's try to keep that clear. Um, but uh, that Jesus and the disciples were baptizing people in Judea. But then John later clarifies that Jesus himself isn't baptizing, but just his his disciples are baptizing. Now, that's an interesting thing already, because first when I first read this line, you go, oh, wow, can you imagine being baptized by Jesus? That would be that would be quite the thing but we find out no he didn't actually do it. So that's the first question I have is why do you suppose Jesus himself didn't do the baptizing? Any any thoughts on that other than maybe just so people didn't couldn't have like this superiority complex about it?
2: I never nope. actually thought of that.
1: That's the only reason I can think that Jesus wouldn't do it because you know, oh well, I was baptized by God himself, you know. <laughs> look what, uh, look how much better I am.
0: Right.
1: That's the only reason I can Well
0: think, think. about how people yeah, people do things like that all the time. They mm-hmm. do. And, and you know, Paul addresses it in his epistles. He's always saying, what? You know, you're saying you're baptized by so-and-so? Who cares? We were all baptized right. into Christ. Yep. And, yeah, so it is a thing that people do in their minds.
3: hmm You know what I'm so thinking? you're probably it, right. It, maybe it wasn't on such a—this this. probably won't come out the right way, but, you know, to— to baptize a person one by one when his main mission was to save the entire world. Mm -hmm. Good. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Maybe it wasn't just the scale of
2: it. I guess, I guess what comes to mind is that he was here to set aside those human customs that had accidentally through stupid, through human stupidity become the focal point of worship. He was there to bring everything back to, worshiping god in truth that actually and when when we're reading when we're going through john four today it actually talks it's called out specifically but he was here to du- to completely disrupt and do away with some of the biggest human routines in mm-hmm. the religious world so maybe they just all were lower on the important <laughs> scale than what we would have classified them
0: yeah
1: Yeah, and it makes sense to me, too, here, that, you know, Jesus just doesn't want to get caught up in that very kind of thing, because you look at the very next uh, section of it here, and you find that John the Baptist's disciples are upset that John's disciples are sort of defecting and going to Jesus. And so you get this kind of, I don't know, I'm going to call it denominationalism, where it's like, but, but. You know those were our people, you know, and now they're there. And and uh, wh- why are they doing so much better? Um, I you know that's the sort of thing I think that we can kind of see today between denominations and you know competitions. It feels like competition sometimes. Mm-hmm. Of we don't like those guys because of their doctrines or whatever. They're bringing more people, you know, and it's sort of a it's sort of a f- fruitless. Uh, endeavor to to be jealous about that sort of thing i
3: think you know i think it's once again it kind of gets into the whole baptism counting kind of thing like what you're the road you're going down as being a competition and losing sight of really what they were here for or their main mission and Mm -hmm. it's like you know john the baptist was there to prepare a way prepare the way for jesus to to let everybody know that he was coming to um begin the the process of baptizing them into the kingdom and letting them know and i think maybe his disciples lost that a little bit and then mm-hmm. that's why they get caught up in this
0: yeah and i, I think that just shows john's character so clearly because john mm-hmm. is immediately like oh no no uh, yep. he is he is the bridegroom and i'm just his good friend and i'm so joyful you know he's got such a great attitude about everything he's never caught up in the you know how there are ministers who are obsessed with how many followers they have, how many baptisms they have, et cetera. And John the Baptist doesn't have that. He's so clear of, that he has no uh, ego.
3: He he very well knew his role.
1: Him. Yeah, something he says here, I think, really spells it out where he says, he's talking about Jesus, where he says, he must increase, but I must decrease. Yep. And that's, that's so important you know uh tracy talks a lot about self how we let self get in the way and you know we're seeing here how important it is to get us out of the way and let jesus be the central focus let jesus be the one who is important and and uh you know get get my get my opinions out of the way get my my little idiosyncrasies and jealousies and whatnots out of the way and let jesus Thrive, And that's John's point here to his disciples is, is it, this is fine. This is what's supposed to happen. It's supposed to be, it's supposed to be them focusing on Jesus, not focusing on me and not focusing on us. And he starts talking about the spirit. Um, he says, God does not give the spirit by measure. Have you ever had people talk to you about, you know, praying every day and say, oh Lord, give me my, give me my portion of the spirit today. It seems to me no. like... <laughs> You've never heard somebody say that to you?
0: I've never heard that before. No.
1: Oh, interesting, interesting. Because I I hear that quite a bit where you, people are always saying, "Yeah, you need to, you need to pray for your portion of the spirit every day." And John's phrase there would seem to fly right in the face of that because it's it's like it's like he he's saying like there is no limit to the spirit. In fact, G. John uh, said that Jesus would baptize them. With the Spirit, baptize them in the Spirit, and keeping in mind that baptism means to plunge, to immerse. And so, so the concept here being that God pours that Spirit out like it's more like a shower, more like a, you know, like a, you know, a dunking. Um, I don't know. I think, I think a lot of Christians and have sort of discounted the Holy Spirit to a, to a degree. We like to focus on Jesus, which is good. I'm not saying that that's bad, but we forget that when Jesus left, he promised us the Holy Spirit. And, and I think sometimes maybe we don't focus enough on that spirit. And here where John is saying that, yeah, he's going to pour it out on you uh, without measure. Uh, he He's talking about Jesus. You know, these are like kind of reasons that he's saying that it's fine that they go to Jesus because he says he who believes in the son has everlasting life. So believing in Jesus is that uh, it's vital to our existence. And so, yeah, it's fine. It's good. These guys, these these guys should be going to Jesus. They shouldn't be clinging to me. And and you guys don't need to be jealous about it. In fact, <laughs> I'm pretty sure John would have been fine and if, 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 might have even told him, you know what, you guys should be going to Jesus and that would be okay. So the next story that John gives us is another one of the most famous stories in the Bible. And it's I think it's a vital one for us to really compl- uh, comprehend and contemplate. Because there's a lot of things that Jesus do in this next story where he is going against the norms. He is really going against what's been established um, in traditions and whatnot. Uh, so as we dive into that, uh, keep those things in mind.
3: Just kind of uh, kind of segue into that. This is like one of my favorite, favorite stories mm-hmm. for, in the Bible. Um, it just... It's vulnerability. It's uh, to me. It's how how Jesus can touch your inner inner being, if you just if you allow yourself to let him in.
2: There's this idea. There's a couple of ideas that really stand out to me about this story. One is understanding the societal role of marriage and how that's changed over time. Like we look at this through modern eyes. And we're kind of horrified at how many times she's been married. But if you, if you think about it in a, in a, you know, in, you have had five husbands, you know, and the man you now have is not your husband. But yet, if you go back to that era in history, marriages came and went like breath. Um, in, in Rome, ancient Rome, there are, there are records Of like the record holding woman was married 23 times. Mm. So like nowadays, we don't really blink if a couple moves in together before marriage, like that's so common. Like in those eras, though, when you switched from one partner to another, you married that partner. And so I think it I think it helps when you're reading the story to understand that none of what was happening was good in any generation. It was certainly not God's plan, but the the changes of how marriage is thought of and the role that it plays in men's and women's lives is different in different phases. And from the study that I've done of those ancient societies, marriage, divorce, marriage, divorce, marriage, divorce was actually appallingly common. So there's, That's that's kind of one thing. And then to what Tracy was saying, I think it's easy to lose sight of the fact that as we go through our life, we think we've got a shield up, that our worst is not known, and we lose sight of the fact that while the humans around us may not know the ickiest parts of our (laughs) human existence that is never hidden from god and in whatever aspect of our life like we're all the woman at the well we we all are regardless of our marital status or anything like that like we're all the woman at the well who gets who gets called out with what was the worst thing about her in that society she gets called out with that publicly and Jesus is like, no, I, I already know this about you. There's nothing nothing that you can do can hide this from me. And if if we understood that we were that well-known to God, our vulnerabilities and our, sen- our sense of fear surrounded vulnerabilities would seem as silly as it actually is. Okay, I'm done philosophizing. I'm done.
3: <laughs> Go ahead, you know, some. along with that, I I read this other, um, it was like in a, a parallel story to it, and it, it described it as, that just like kind of Karen was saying that we all wear masks, you know, on our day to day trying to hide maybe some of those hurts that we've had um, to insulate ourselves from others to maybe put on a facade of what who we really are. And we're not that, you know, yeah. in, in order to make it in the day to day and that how God sees through all that. But in order for you to really accept him, you have to take off that mask. He wants you to take off that mask. And I think that's what the, to me, what the pivotal part of this story is, is that, you know, there's so many other aspects to it, but that's one of the, one of the things I look at is that she was willing to, once we get there, you know, she's willing to take off that mask.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm loving how this discussion is going. Cause I feel like that is the heart of the story is this is a, a woman who has to hide from her society and. And yet when she encounters Jesus, she does, she lets all that go. And it, it sort of reminds me of Zacchaeus because unlike the Pharisees who are obsessed with maintaining their outer facade, as as soon as she realizes who he is, she lets it go. She's like, nope, I'm in. I am a hundred percent your follower. And, and then she uses her brokenness to tell other people about him. Like, she's willing to say, yep, he told me everything I ever did. Come meet him. He's the Messiah. Like, that is so cool in my mind. It's very different from someone who
2: continues to hide behind their own self-righteousness. So, there are a couple of Bible verses that come to mind with this entire story. But the two, two of them are Hebrews 4, 12, and 13. And it goes like this. For the word of God, in this case it was the direct word of Jesus, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So, All of our human pretense is useless with anything besides each other. In any realm that actually matters (laughs) in the long view of life, that doesn't do you any good. It might smooth over some human situations to kind of posture your way through it or keep your privacy or whatever. But in the one relationship that matters above and beyond this earth and this timeline, it's silly. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yep, All right
1: well, so just in case some of our listeners don't know what we're talking about here <laughs> We have we, we, we can we can easily jump ahead and and, and realize that we haven't laid down the foundation here yet. but Jesus, when he's in, when he's recognizing that he's making more disciples than John, he decides, To go to Galilee. So he's going to leave that that region of Judah. And head to Galilee. And there's something here that I hadn't quite ever considered before. And that is that Galilee. Which right. That's where Jesus was born. Not born. Excuse me. But that's where Jesus grew up. Nazareth is right in that area. That's up in that old northern kingdom of Israel. This This is the region. That judah had been having issues with for for a long time before all of the uh, uh uh the exiles took place but as jesus is needing to go up to galilee he's got to go through samaria now samaria was the capital of that northern kingdom of israel since way back when um omri was king of, of northern of the of the that Northern kingdom. And he was one, two, three, four, five. He was like the sixth king of, of Israel. One of that long line of Kings who, who did evil as the Bible tells us. And um, when Israel had been exiled, some foreigners had settled that land and they had mixed their foreign gods with the true God, which is part of the reason everybody had to get exiled in the beginning. It To begin with is that that idolatry kept kept sneaking in um, the the the, the this, this city had been conquered and destroyed by um, a Jewish king named oh I I think I got it right Hyrcanus John Hyrcanus Romans had freed Samaria from Jewish control um, there had been conflict between Samaritan and Jews over the proper place for the temple which we'll talk about here in a little little bit. the Samaritans thought that you should worship on Mount Gerizim while the Jews thought you should worship at Jerusalem. And later on, when you get into the ADs, the Samaritans actually desecrated the Jewish temple with corpses, and uh, they ended up eventually being permanently excluded from the temple. But so you can see how how there was this political, and I don't just mean like, you know, governmental, but just this this unrest between the
3: Jews and the Samaritans didn't we talk about them too just in the end when they were rebuilding the temple that they wanted to be part of that and they were like no we need to do it on our own Mm -hmm. wasn't that didn't we cover that towards the end of the old testament Mm
1: -hmm. yeah I don't remember if they were specifically what we would think of as Samaritans now but I think yeah there was some of that (laughs) northern region yeah 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 and uh, so yes yeah, so it's just it's it's just this long standing feud between them and so when Jesus has to walk through there and now we find out that Jesus is actually from there that that kind of opened my eyes to some things about about why people had a some people maybe had a hard time accepting Jesus
2: the interesting dynamic here like the inter interracial you know sort of long standing feud that's going on here father abraham right and firstborn versus child of promise versus who has the rights to the inheritance that was promised by God. You know, there's all of these things. This, this was such a pivotal theme, a divisive theme during this phase of history. And when you fast forward to Paul, okay, so then Jesus comes and he's kind of the great unifier because now Israel isn't special. Like that. Now, anyone who believes on Christ is special and they're grafted into the vine and they're a, a, a joint heir with Jesus, right? Like that belief system becomes the way to the throne instead of I was born Hebrew and therefore I have this claim, right? I'm a child of Abraham because that was that was what the dispute was. And then here comes Paul and he says what to us is more commonplace is like stop with your vain genealogies. They don't have any worth, right? But this is right in the thick of it. Like all the genealogies matter. And then here comes Jesus, and he's the fulfillment of all the promises. In, you know, everything, all of God's promises in him are yes. And he's trying to welcome her to the family, and she is ready to go.
1: Yeah, so as Jesus is traveling through Samaria, it's it, it, when we say Samaria, sometimes we're talking about a city, sometimes we're talking about a region, but it's that sp- Base, kind of just north of Jerusalem where uh where that old capital had been and was still populated by these people who were just they were other let's just say it that way and Jesus goes to this little town I think it's called sikar or Sycar. sikar sounds better to where there's this famous well it's Jacob's well mm-hmm. uh, Jacob who we who we know later became named Israel had had mm-hmm. dug a well here and and so everybody knew about this place. Well, Jesus stops at this well, and it's something significant about this. He, he stops there at about noon. So this would have been a time of day when nobody's going to be out. It's the heat of the day. Most likely, you're not going to be seeing people there. But this woman comes to the well, and Jesus asks her for a drink. And the woman is utterly surprised. She's just sort of dumbfounded that this guy who she can somehow clearly tell is Jewish would talk to her a as a Samaritan and B as a woman and maybe not in that
3: order because that was just unheard of so then uh, just a you know a tad bit before that too is is that whole getting water in at the noontime or the midday when it's at the hottest point yeah yep so what what it is is that that's the first thing we're talking about is that the water was usually drawn in the morning when it was the coolest Mm -hmm. and so she's there because number one is kind of like what we're going at is the assumption is that she couldn't be around those women you know in light of everything that she's been through and hiding her true self so what did she decide to do i'll avoid them all Mm -hmm. I'll go there in the midday when nobody's there, nobody can see me, nobody can cast judgment on me, um, making it probably hard on herself, miserable, you know, doing that kind of work in in the heat. But, you know, that's kind of the the preface of the story is that ordinarily she wouldn't have been there. You know, if she was accepted in the female community, she wouldn't have been there.
0: In the heat of the day in the Middle East.
3: Yes. Yes. That's hot. Yep.
0: Yeah,
3: yep, yeah. and and the other part of there, just kind of like you alluded to before, Matt, is that uh, the Samaritans and the Jewish people they did not interact at all. They didn't want you to speak to them. They would shun you in all ways. And then for Jesus to talk to her, that surprised her too.
2: hmm
1: Yeah, on so many
3: levels, because uh, she's
1: a Samaritan. She's a woman. I mean, these people are considered unclean to the Jews. I mean, this is just this is just absolutely unheard of for. And not only that, for him to ask her for water, even the stuff, you know, their their their, their vessels, their pots were considered unclean. So, you know, she's going to draw water. She's going to hand something to Jesus to drink from. You know, even that would have been considered unclean. So there's just so many aspects of this that. Are outside of what would have been the norm, and outside of what a normal Jewish Samaritan interaction would have been. And Jesus's response to her, he doesn't really, he never does really acknowledge this uncleanness, this rivalry, this uh, this you know the strangeness of the interaction. In fact, the way he he reacts to her is just to say if you knew who was asking for a drink you would have asked him and he would have given you living water that's an interesting statement too because he's starting to allude something to her and he ends up coming right out and saying it later which is something that we don't read a whole lot about jesus coming right out and telling people who he is and what his mission on earth is and with this woman who is considered the lowest of the low by the society that Jesus is from, to, to to get the honor of being one of the first people told this is, is quite a thing.
3: That was another big hitter from this one is that, that I, why I like it so much is that, is that this is the first time that Jesus actually proclaims his mission. Now I'm jumping too far ahead. Well, okay, <laughs> hold that, hold that thought. Readjust it <laughs> on the cutting room floor. <laughs> this idea of living
1: water it, it's the ob, it's like the opposite of stagnant water because living water is sort of a way of saying this is flowing water. I would have given you flowing water versus versus, you know, this water's been sitting in this well. You know, um, we if you know anything about purity of water, you know that it kind of has to stay flowing. Otherwise, stuff starts growing in it and whatnot. Um I know recently I was, I was hearing about a Boy Scout camp here. Close, I, I know a guy who was running that camp, and they kept having a problem with E. coli in, in the water. And it's because it was, it was one of those situations where it just wasn't flowing through at a, a good enough rate for it to, to stay clean. And so Jesus is talking about living water or flowing water what do you think might be some of the implications of, of the this importance of flowing water
2: well when it comes to boy scouts it's because boys are disgusting <laughs> and so is poop
1: <laughs> <But> <laughs>
2: anyway um i think all of this goes back to kind of the tone the tone of john 3 you know there's this 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 element let's see if i can find the verse here um there's this there's this text in verse 3 where it basically says like we're we're like Jesus is here to bring worship back to God. Like not not the structure, not the rules, not the have, have I dotted every i and crossed every t and am I good by these outward measurements that the people around me can see. Again, he's here to drop the mask like what we started talking about. He's here to bring authenticity back to worship. Worship is supposed to be a heart connection to a heart connection, the created to the creator. It's not supposed to be a series of rules and behaviors. Why are the rules and behaviors important? Because we lose sight of how we're supposed to act, right? The guidelines are there to sort of correct us and stand in front of us, you know, put the law in front of us like a mirror and say, are you out of line? Like, your perfect, unblemished God is requesting you to act like this. If you love him, you'll do that because you'll know, you'll understand that he knows you better than you know yourself, and he knows what you need to do. He knows what humans on the grand scale need to do, and he knows what you as an individual need to do. So... I all of this, I think these you know these two chapters, the finish up of chapter three and then going into chapter four, they appear to be very different stories, but he brought the basically, this is Jesus being a unifier of the human heart. He brings he brings the love of God directly to a Jewish leader. and then he follows that in the Bible, who knows, you know, in the actual timeline of events, who knows, but in the story s- sequence, he then turns around and brings that exact same, heart of God to a Samaritan woman. Like there, there aren't limits to the people he's trying to unify in God's love. There just aren't limits. It's everyone.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, the woman, she doesn't quite understand where Jesus is going with this. And, you know, I, I sometimes wonder if it's just a cultural thing where people didn't quite get the concept of, of analogy, because it seems like there's a lot of time in scripture where Jesus will use you know synonyms or 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 that's not quite the right. but he'll he'll compare things to other things and people don't they don't get what he's saying all they see is like the literal application and so when he's the talking parable. about yeah the parables people don't understand the parables when we get to those but so here when he's like yeah i could give you or i could give you living water Her 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 first thought is well where are you going to get that from are you how does she put it? She says, You're are you greater than our father Jacob? Yeah. Because remember, this is the guy who who made the well, and it's like, This is this is the best water around, you know. Uh how are how are you gonna give me better water than what's right here? All she's seeing is is a literal application here. And interestingly, Jesus doesn't he, he doesn't come right out to try to explain. He just kind of keeps going along with his with his thought processes. Because he says, whoever drinks of this water, talking about the well of Jacob, whoever drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Looking at that as analogy, that's some, you know, that it, it makes you. It kind of makes your brain try to open up and think about what's he mean? What is that? You know, what is all that? you know, a fountain of water that, that opens up, but the woman doesn't, she still doesn't quite get it. And, but she wants this, but she says she just wants it. So she doesn't have to keep coming to the well. I
0: guess I was just thinking about the fact that on a psychological level, Jesus is hitting her right where she's at. You know, she's definitely Mm -hmm. someone who's been searching and searching and searching this man, that man, maybe this time, maybe that guy, you know, and all this hunger inside of her and, Mm -hmm. And Jesus is like, I have something so much better for you, and she recognize it, recognizes it instantaneously. Mm-hmm. I want that. I want that. Mm-hmm. Yep. And yeah. And yeah, that's yeah, that's all.
1: He's speaking to her in terms of her immediate desires, her immediate needs. I mean, she needs water. That's why she's there in the middle of the day, is to get water, because you got to have water for life. And so Jesus is speaking to her in terms of her immediate needs and desires, but he's talking about things that are so much greater than just getting a drink.
3: And I think that's the first part. I think that's the first part of the acceptance is— Just on the peripheral part of it. She hasn't quite absorbed the whole meaning, but it's already intrigued her. It's already got her. And it's like, you know what? Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. So she hasn't quite grasped the the whole gravity of it yet, but she's on the road. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where we all are. We're on the road, but as we progress into it, she's going to have to do a little bit more.
1: Yeah, in terms of of evangel, I'll say evangelism. I guess that's yeah. really what it is.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Being able to hit people in their – hit people, that's a bad way to put that. But <laughs> being able to approach people in terms of their needs, I think is – okay, one, that's really hard for me to do because I don't always see the initial needs of people Um or maybe it's something about me where I kind of choose not to see. I mean, I'm just being honest where I just like, eh, I don't want to deal with that, you know? Um, but this is, it's so much more important than just bam, hitting people with doctrine. You know, I mean, Jesus could have come right in. He could, he could have started pounding on her about adultery, you know? And he doesn't, he t- he's talking about, you know, this, this need for water, this, uh this, this simple everyday need that everybody has that, for her it's a little more difficult and um, I just think it's a good lesson for us in in how we approach people how we how we interact with them if our goal is to attract them to Jesus don't hit them with doctrine start by appealing to their to their basic needs first but now Jesus does kind of turn turn things a bit.
3: Because because now he's just like, go get your husband. But that was the inquiry to see if she was going to take off that mask. Is she going to feed me a line or has she opened up her whole heart to me?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm, interesting. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, it, it is interesting, though, that he, he turns that table so quickly there from basic need to now let's get down to the root of the problem. Let's start. Now, now we—I've opened this up, and now we can start talking about where the problem lies, or at least in part of where the problem lies. Because I, you know, I can't help thinking that there was something deeper than there, there. There's reasons why people do things they do, and in her case, bouncing from man to man, you know, it's like, why? What makes people do what they do, rather than just? Being judgmental about it, though, he—he's—I don't know. Jesus is rather gentle about it.
2: Hey, go get your husband. So again, <laughs> we read these stories, you know, you, you know, the the woman caught in adultery, the woman at the well, you know, sort of these scandalous women, and this is—I mean—they didn't live in a society where women had a whole lot of options. So, mm-hmm. you know, once you, you—I mean, if you if you If you weren't going to pay your way through life on your back, you needed a male protector. So, I mean, which is which is worse? You know, which is more honest? Right. Marrying a guy, marrying multiple guys in order to have an ongoing protector, or not marrying any of them. You know, you know what I mean? Like, I. It's not worth spending a whole lot of time analyzing the details of the situation because every generation has their own version of the easiest. God, God-related infidelities, if that makes sense, Christian infidelities to fall into. And, you know, the Bible is full of stories of how individuals and nations slip and slip on purpose and openly embrace the things that they've been specifically told not to. It is in our fallen nature as individuals, small groups, large groups, you name it. And in this case, she'd gotten caught up You know, she probably didn't have easy situations. She probably didn't know what to do. And yet, the beautiful part of the story, the heart of the story, is that when she glimpses the beauty and the higher reaching love of Christ, she runs straight for it. And that's the call. Like, that's the call. Like, whatever we're doing, whatever shade of gray we happen to be waiting around in that day, when we see the call of God happen, do we say yes, drop what we're doing, and run for it? Like, that's kind of where we're at. And she just she just responded beautifully. She was so ready for it. Mm-hmm. Give me a solution that's better because I'm band-aiding my way through this awful life.
0: I just wanted to say that was fantastic, Karen, because I really feel that. Like, I feel that about this story. I feel that about the fact that she is someone who just immediately uh, latches onto Christ. Like, once she realizes who he is, she's in and I think that's why we love her,
1: yeah, there's so many nuances of everything that's happening here we you know one, we don't really know why she had five husbands. We can kind of infer with because of the fact that she's living you know she seemed basically shacked up with a guy um but you know i don't I don't know that women necessarily had the ability to divorce. I mean the men could do it, but it's not like I don't know if she was able to just. Choose to leave. Um, You know, did they divorce because because she was was unfaithful? Maybe. Um, You know, I don't know. There's a lot of things here. We don't know exactly why she's in the position she's in, but we can kind of infer that she's being viewed as being less than because of her situation.
2: I'm going to go on a very short modern woman rant here. (laughs) It's going to last less than an hour. So Ready? Go. <laughs> Here's how it goes. I realize that the Bible was written during patriarchal times when everything was done from a male position of power and a male perspective. However, I have a hard time taking stories seriously that involve two people, a man and a woman in the same situation where the woman is the one who's punished for it simply because she's female never mind that there was clearly a man involved as well i think that's stupid i'm done now
1: <laughs> well that's part of what i'm saying is that you know we 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 read the story initially and you want it you know you instantly want to get judgmental but we don't know the full story there's at least six men involved in the story that aren't even, they're barely mentioned, you know, what was their role?
3: We don't know. We just know that it's all been put on her. But, you know, ultimately, I think in the, the big picture of it, we want this to be everyone's conversion story. Yep. Totally. Yeah. Because you want to be down on, you know, down on life itself. And, you know, under hard times, the way we we start this out, and then Jesus comes along and he offers us salvation and we take it. And then we start to purge all those things of the world that got us into that situation. And then we run and we cannot wait to tell everyone about mm-hmm. what he's done for us. I think that's ultimately what the story is. And I think that's ultimately why men and women can gravitate to it. Cause you want that to be your conversion experience.
2: Yeah, we're all the compromised human who's done the things that we shouldn't do. Maybe we felt like our back was up against a wall. Maybe it was the easiest thing to do in the moment. Maybe we wanted to. Who knows? We don't know the details of each other's stories, but we sure know our our own. The question is, when you see Christ, do you drop what you're doing and be aligned for him?
1: Yeah. Well, she doesn't quite drop everything just yet here, though, because as he points out, yeah, I know he's not your husband. In fact, you've had five. It's kind of a curious thing for him to do other than I suppose it's just him saying I kind of get your situation I or I know your situation. But I I think she kind of goes on the defensive just a little bit here where she shifts it then to that to that feud between the Jews and and the Samaritans by pointing out you know, where, where they like to worship. Oh, we like to worship on Mount Gerizim. You think we should worship in Jerusalem. So she almost tries to shift the narrative away from herself a little bit, getting back to that feud. And like basically I take it as saying, Yeah, you don't you don't know me so well because you guys think that's right and we
3: think this is right. I think that was her her broad generalization defense mechanism. Yeah. I agree. You know, if I if I can kinda detract um what am i looking for
0: maybe distract
3: yes you know from what is going on right now or maybe shift the tone of the conversation it won't allow him to to peer through this mask that i'm wearing mm-hmm. i'm gonna deflect yeah. that's the word i'm looking for there, i'm gonna oh, deflect go. with something else yeah get the focus off of me and yes yep yeah, hmm
2: and yet, it shows you that her brain was already on the larger spiritual issues of, you know, this. Okay, the feud was based on which child of Abraham, right? Which son of Abraham had the rights of inheritance and therefore the promise of God, right? They all have the old scrolls. They all know what the promises of God to Abraham were, and his. First, and the bottom line between these two nations was the firstborn son, who, who by cultural law had the rights to all the things didn't he was set aside in favor of a second son and she is a product of the firstborn son right so if she is spiritually tuned in and she and in that generation what that meant was are you a child of abraham because they're the chosen people I actually really like what this says about her, because even though, you know, maybe her personal life is a mess and she's done a bunch of stuff and she's ended up in all these situations when presented with someone who she openly says, like he tells her, well, you've had five husbands and the guy you have now hasn't even given you his name. You're just kind of shacking up together. And her response is, I can see you're a prophet. Since I've got your attention, I've got this huge issue that's looming over my life and my spirituality and i'd like to know what the truth of the matter is and i i personally i can think of about 10 solid questions where if a prophet or an angel or something appeared before me and they proved that they were a prophet or an angel by blurting out some intimate detail of me that no one else would know my first reaction would be okay that that wasn't a great conversation but now that i trust that you are who you say you are could I get some answers to these big questions, please? Right. I've got a few of those in my head. They'd be the first thing out of my mouth if I thought that I was face to face with the heavenly messenger. Yeah, I've noticed that, too.
0: And I think it's often overlooked. Like she is in many ways, you know, just this adulterous woman, you know, in a very conflicted personal life, like you're saying. But yet at the same time, she is a spiritual person. She is someone who's interested in spiritual things and is aware of the prophecies. She's aware of, uh, the conflict. Like there's a, a ton of people who wouldn't even be aware of those things. And, and yet here she is, Who she's like, wait a second, you might know the answer to this question. And, and yes, I think she's primarily using it to deflect, but I also think, yeah, but why did she think of that?
1: Yeah. Well, Jesus just kind of turns it right back on her and basically says, there's going to come a day when you're not going to, wor- we're not going to worship on either place. Mount Gerizim isn't going to matter. Jerusalem isn't going to matter because the true worshipers of God are going to worship him in spirit and truth. So location doesn't matter. What matters is your attitude and your sincerity. You're going to worship God for his, his nature of truth. So get this, get this idea of locations out of your mind get this idea of nationality out of your mind get this this idea of of rivalries out of your mind because all of that stuff is going away it's go, it's going to be gone it's not important so let's let's start to focus on what really is important and understand that this rivalry this rivalry is silly
2: this, this rivalry is pointless when Jesus and all his power as the actual son of God steps into the picture, right? So during an, era, during an era when Israel was supposed to be the shining example of Christ on earth, there was a special call to Israel. And it came with special communication with God. And it came with, like, he is your direct leader. Like, for many years, they didn't even have a king. You know, they had to ask for a king because God wanted to be there. He wanted to be their leader directly. And so there was there was a special relationship with Israel, but there came a time when Israel hadn't done their job. And so now instead of Israel being the the city on a hill, now there was a direct call from God to everyone. Now that direct call has always been there, but Israel was set up as the shiny example of what was supposed to be. And they they kind of dropped the ball on their end.
1: Well, this is where we get right to the meat of what Jesus is wanting to reveal to her because she she hears what he's saying and I think she's maybe starting to get what he's saying that, okay, so that's not going to matter. But then she says, well, you know what? I know that someday the Messiah is going to come and is going to uh, explain all of this to us. And this is where Jesus comes right out. And he says, basically, he says, I am the one you're waiting for. (laughs) yep and that is so powerful because there's there's not a lot of times when jesus comes right out and says it you know there are there are you know when he's when he's on trial right before the crucifixion and he says you know i am you know yes i am exactly who you're saying you know and this time it's like yes i am the I am the Messiah. I am the one you've been waiting for. The way he puts it, at least in the New King James, is uh, "I who speak to you am He." Uh, You just we don't see him doing that very often. And so, as we as we look at this in the terms of who he's speaking to, this disenfranchised person, disenfranchised times, you know, three or four times, Samaritan woman, potentially adulterous woman, her own society is rejecting her and this is the person that Jesus comes right out to her and says I'm the guy. I'm the one you've been looking for. What a what a statement. What a thing. I mean, I and what a way. What a what a masterful way for Jesus to be able to come around to be able to say this. Cuz if he had just walked up to this woman and said, "Hey, I'm the Messiah." How do you think that would have flown? It wouldn't have. It wouldn't it wouldn't have at all. But his his gentle way of easing in is so masterful of seeing the personal needs, looking at the problem, and then
3: revealing his purpose. You know, I think too what we look at is we look at the whole blueprint of God's mission right here, too, is he he's laying it out again as he goes to exactly the people that are despised the most, the lowly You know, the woman at the well, you know, and Karen's probably going to be mad at me for saying this, but, you know, the woman (laughs) is 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 downtrodden by her own by by women itself. It's like we can't get much lower than that at this point in that time period. That's who he breaks the news that I am the Messiah. I'm the one you're waiting for. I'm the one that's going to save everybody. His whole blueprint right there at the well. Yeah. Amy Sorry, Karen.
0: I just yeah, what I was thinking about was the fact that he also eventually reveals himself to the blind man. And, you know, here's this guy born blind. And Jesus says to him at the end of the story, do you believe in the son of God? And the guy says, yeah, I sure do. Uh, How do I find him? And Jesus says, well, you're looking at him. And and so, again, he comes to someone who is a beggar in the streets like this guy's low on what we would consider the totem pole, right? But Jesus tells him the absolute truth and it's, it's a universal and cosmic truth that he reveals to this beggar. And to me, it's just like another reason to fall in love with Jesus because his kindness is overwhelming and he doesn't care at all what your position is in this world
1: at all. Yeah. At this point, the disciples come back, they've gone into town to find food and they come back and they're surprised to find Jesus talking to this woman, like we said, Samaritan woman. Probably surprised, you know, even to find, a, find her there at the first in the first place. They interestingly stay quiet about it. My guess is they've been around Jesus just long enough to know that there's something going on here. Yet they're still surprised. It's not. I guess maybe it's not necessarily quite what they would have expected for to see Jesus doing, because, you know, we know we know that even the apostles, the guys closest to Jesus, they didn't quite get it right away. In fact, I don't think I don't think a lot of them got it until after the resurrection. But to see to see Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman is a bit of a shock to them. But it is interesting to me that they just kind of stay quiet about it. Don't don't even bring it up, really. But now the woman, she decides to, she leaves, she she runs off, leaves her water pots, goes into the city. Now, this is interesting, too, because this is the woman who has been shunned by everyone. But she is the one who runs into the city to tell people, come see a man who told me everything I did. So now we can see why Jesus uh, would... Would have talked to her about her marital situation, because this is a place where where he was able to look in just a little deeper than on the surface. And she's recognizing this. Look at this. He knew about my five husbands. He knew that I'm with somebody who's not my and I've never met him before, you know. And uh, so come see this guy. And. She comes right out, she says, could this be the Christ? And so so basically she's like the first evangelist. She runs She hmm. runs off to say, come see Jesus, come to Jesus. He can do things. He can say things. He knows things that are, are it would be like unknowable and come see them. And so the people they do, they come to see them, uh, which tells me that this testimony somehow, obviously must've been very powerful to those people because your first thought, would be like why why are they even believing her why wouldn't they just kind of blow her off but something about her demeanor here must have expressed a sincerity that they recognized to the point
3: where they come right out they they come out to see my thing is i think she lost that mask i think she lost that thing she was hiding behind because now you know and i i, I tell i tell my kids this If there's something that you're hiding, it takes a lot of work. Yeah. But if you're just put it out there, people can't use that against you because you've already made it known. It's not some grand secret that's going to come up and out. It's like, don't give them the bullets to shoot at you. It's like, if you own it, they can't use it against you. And at, at this point, I think she owns it. And I think she's, she's, um, she's a new creature in in Jesus and now she's going to proclaim it and she doesn't care about what the world thinks. Mhm.
1: Yeah, she's definitely got that new Christian smell to her, doesn't she? Where yep. she's uh, <laughs> <laughs> she's so excited and wants people to know and hear and fortunately she she encounters people who are willing to listen. You know, I say that new that new that new Christian smell because I think after you know, after a bit our our <laughs> worldview can get even more jaded maybe than it is at times and and uh we start to lose some of the luster not necessarily our faith but maybe just a little bit of our eagerness the fire uh, which is the fire which is unfortunate i wish you know i wish we could re-find refi- it again but the truth is i mean it's just like i think it's just a part of our nature we just uh it, it wanes It can wane after a little while. Um,
2: Well, Revelation refers to it as the first love, you know?
1: Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Well, while she's gone, the disciples try to get Jesus to have have some lunch since they've gone into town to get food. And Jesus' response is so interesting. He's like, I have food to eat of which you do not know. That's a
2: totally different kind of satisfaction. Oh, my goodness. Like. mm -hmm. It, it it's not that your body stops needing food but it seems so much less of a priority when mm-hmm. you're caught up in this bigger mission
3: and i think it is it's all about priority at this point point. and i think that's kind of what he's trying to relay to his disciples is like you know what this is my mission this is this is the the food i'm here for is is humanity you know because i think i kind of look back and i parallel it to when he was um in the synagogue the first time at 12 and and ministering and his mother was looking for him and she finally finds him like what are you doing and he's like i'm about my father's business you know it's i have a higher purpose at this point you're thinking food i'm thinking salvation
1: yeah you know it makes me wonder and this is just total speculation i don't necessarily need anybody to try to prove or disprove uh, the concept here, but is it potentially possible that simply relying on God to the utmost and doing his will is enough to physically sustain? Because keep in mind, this isn't too long after, or as far as we know, isn't too far after Jesus being in the wilderness for 40 days with no food and water and as we discussed then that's not as far as we know not physically possible you can't go 3 days without water you can't go much more than a week without food and for Jesus to be able to go 40 days without and now he just says you know what the things that sustain me aren't aren't those things right now it's just a it's just a it's just a thought you know if we're, if our if our faith was to the point where we utterly and completely and totally were depending on God within God's will doing God's will would it be enough to keep us sustained physically like that I don't know it's just a thought something to contemplate like I said don't, I don't I'm not necessarily looking for somebody to to prove it right or wrong either way just just so just a so wonder but the, di- the disciples they don't get it they like I said before, they don't understand these analogies, and and they're like, well, did somebody bring
0: him food?
2: No, that's like a forest for the trees problem. You can't see the forest for the trees. That's that's. I mean, the disciples were continually caught up in that. Well, I
0: I know you weren't necessarily looking for an answer to that or anything, but I do think you're onto something. And um, not that I think it'll give us superhuman powers or anything, but I've noticed that in the scriptures, those who have the most faith are the least concerned about how to meet their material needs, Mm -hmm. you know, and and Jesus brings that up in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, because he says, you know, the Lord knows you need these things. The Father knows you need these things. Seek after me. And and that's his, that's got to be your focus. And then suddenly, you know, getting food becomes a much lower priority.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Maybe to the point where it's, he's saying, you know what, even if I starved to death, if I was doing this, this is enough.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. So
1: sort of just just laying everything at the feet of God, every single thing at the feet of God and being okay with whatever happens Mm -hmm. physically, you know?
2: Yeah. I mean, and he says it. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: So so like he does all this. Right. He has a conversation with the disciples while she's in town and then. Many of the the people from this town of Sychar, they, you know, they urge him to stay for two days. And then so he he stays for two days and they and then after that, they they say to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know this man really is the savior of the world. So that was a good two days of work right there. That was a good two days of work. And he's traipsing all over. He's traipsing all over Galilee at this point. And Mm -hmm. he and then. So in verse 43, he um, he goes over to, let's see, where does he go? He arrives in Galilee. The Galileans welcome him. They had seen all he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival. So that's kind of interesting. So like word of mouth is strong in this area. Mm-hmm. So, and then it says, in, once more, he visited Cana where he had turned the water into wine and the, and so people remembered that as well and so now here back in cana he's looped back around and a royal official comes to him and his son is sick in capernaum how far away is capernaum from cana can somebody look that up that's kinda that's kinda Let's an i just now noticed see. that i wonder how far he had traveled And so, because it says in verse 47, when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him. So like he traveled to meet him, begged him to come home and heal his son who was close to death. And at first Jesus kind of, he kind of like pokes him a little bit just to see what he says. He says, 16 and and
3: a half miles.
2: Okay. All right. So that's pretty good travel. That's pretty good distance when you're on foot or on horseback. So Jesus' response is, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. And and yet the royal official is completely focused on his child. He just says, sir, come down before my child dies. And so Jesus says, go, your child will live. And sure enough, on the way home, his servants are on their way traveling. to, to And so they cross on the road and they say, you know, that your, your boy got better. Really, what time, when? And they say yesterday at about one in the afternoon, the fever left him. So, Jesus is, he's busy. The Mm -hmm. harvest is ripe.
1: Yeah, yeah, because that is what he's telling, talking to the the disciples about this harvest being ripe. And others have reaped, and others are going to sow, and you don't need to worry about you don't necessarily need to worry about if you see the fruition of your work, but there's a lot to do yeah. right now. There is so much to be done. So much can be done. And, yeah, that whole nobleman's son story, you know, where he's like, he believes that Jesus can heal, but it's it's more a question of will he heal? You know, and that's a lot of times I think that's our question, too. I believe Jesus can but I wonder, will he, you know, and and that's a legitimate question. And and in this case, Jesus is like, yeah, I don't need to go with you to do this. You just need to believe that it, that it can happen. So, yeah, a lot going on there. So much to do, so much to uh, contemplate as Jesus is really starting to ramp up his ministry, really starting to come come out, come out of obscurity, I suppose you could say. And all over the place. I mean between Jerusalem and Galilee. That's that's no short little walk. That's uh that's that's a that's a pretty good hike there. Um I don't remember exactly. It seemed like it was now I don't remember. But that's a, it was a long way, long way to walk. So he's he's making a lot of lot of tracks and getting around.
2: Where? From Judea to Galilee?
1: Mm-hmm. I'm trying to find the map that I was looking at with that. I don't remember well, where it was. I feel was, like
0: Tracy but... just used Google Maps or something because he came yeah. up with that so fast.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just typed it in. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> Google that
2: stuff. <laughs> That's
1: right. Yeah, okay. I don't know somewhere I had a map. Or so
2: from Judea to Galilee, the furthest distance it could be was a, would be 150 kilometers. Right? So from far end to far end. Yeah. More likely if you look at the at the typical pilgrimage routes, it was more likely in the range of sixty-five kilometers, which is about forty miles. That's what I'm seeing here.
1: Okay. Yeah, it's still no small still no, no small region. Mm-hmm. Well, either way you look at it, no small region. And and uh, you know, that word of mouth is getting around, you know.
2: And they're remembering him from last time he came through, which is super cool. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, So Jesus is making tracks. He is making an impression. He is hitting people in that personal space that they're in and and dealing with them in that respect. His ministry is really something. Uh, Any final thoughts?
0: I just want to know, um, when it says that he's a nobleman's son, have we got any idea? Do we mean like a Jewish noble? Hmm.
1: Let me look in my... Study Bible Hill real quick and see if it gives us any in indication. Or what was that? That's verse.
2: The first
0: time I I see it is verse forty six. A certain nobleman, yeah, a ruler,
2: and we know there were Jews there because that's where um, that's where Peter was from. They they recognized his accent as a Galilean. That's right. Okay.
1: I didn't see anything in my cultural relevance Bible specifically about it. Mm. Um, oh, here in my NIV Study Bible says evidently an officer in Herod's service.
2: Mm. Yeah, royal. Yeah, I yeah. assume he was serving the yeah. Romans. Yeah. Okay. So no,
1: I don't know nothing specifically, but obviously somebody who is viewed as important.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And for somebody, somebody, somebody in that station of life. To reach out to this wandering prophet, you know, who's probably got dirty clothes and stinky feet. You know, it's
2: Mm. uh,
1: it's an interesting thing for him to come and want him to come to heal his to heal his child. So, yeah, just the fact just the fact that he is who he is makes makes the story interesting.
0: Anyway, I was just curious.
1: Yeah, that's about it for this week. Then next week. As we continue to try to navigate through the Gospels, I'm going to tentatively say right now we are going to look at the last parts of Matthew 8 that we haven't really talked about yet, Uh, bits of Mark 2, and I'm going to throw John chapter 5 in there. And of course, all those things... Are intermingling with other parts parts of the Bible, so we'll be talking about a lot of different things. We're going to be talking about a lot of different miracles that Jesus did, a lot of different ways that He was interacting with the public. We may go a little further now. I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure at this point, but uh, I would say let's start there, with Matthew eight, Mark two, and John five, and um, and we'll see when we'll see where it goes. And so while our listeners are waiting for that and reading that. Remember, you can reach out to us at podcast at theadventure.org. Look us up on Facebook. Please share the podcast with your friends and family. And make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We can reach you each and every week. And we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening. Good story.
3: Okay, so I have one thing to ask. Yeah. Okay. So when when Amy was talking and she said that Jesus was talking to the blind baker, and he goes, are you the Messiah? And he goes, Amy said, yeah, you're looking at him.
0: Yeah.
3: I almost laughed. (laughs) Oh, this
2: is after he heals him.
3: (laughs) I was wondering. I was wondering if I was missing the timeline, but I didn't (laughs) want to say
2: Well, I thought that was hilarious also. (laughs) (laughs)
3: you're looking at it well i'm blind okay
2: right it's after
0: okay. it's after verse 25 which verse 25 is the one that says one yep. thing i know whereas i was blind now i see <laughs> so I knew then, you were <laughs>
3: going, but i still thought it was kind of funny <laughs> that is funny
0: all right fair fair uh-huh. that's good you guys will so... keep me on my toes man <laughs>